Okay, let's, uh, let's get right into the word here. As If you would, please open up your Bibles. If you forgot your Bible, don't forget to raise your hand. Usher will make sure you have Bible in hand. And we're going to open up to Genesis chapter 25. Uh, and uh, we're going to be picking back up in Genesis chapter 25. We're actually going to take chapters 25 and 26 today. If you remember where we left off, we were seeing a transition from one generation to another. We see the, the, the passing of uh, Sarah and uh, Abraham is taking responsibility to make sure his, their son uh, Isaac uh, has a wife to continue on the genealogy, the lineage, the the promise that God had given to Abraham. And we see the miraculous work of God to take a servant up 450 miles by faith to go to the place where God sent him to go. And once they got there, that God had took and answered the next step and then took him to the next step. And everything just flows from step to step as you take steps of faith. That wasn't easy. We read it and think, oh, no big deal. But that took a lot of faith in that servant. It took faith in Abraham to send the servant. I mean, these are things you must find ourselves doing today as well. We go faith by faith is a step by step. And he only answers that, you know, it takes you to the next step once you do and are obedient to the first step that he gives you. And we live by faith and not by sight there. And we saw that played out. It was a beautiful thing. But now we see the transition of the patriarch, Abraham, to his son, Isaac, to continue on that family um, lineage there. And we'll see this played out here. We call it trials by faith. And you're going to see this played out here, the trials that come. So many times we think when you're in the, the will of God and everything is exactly, you're right in the place where God wants you and you've just been taking steps of faith and obedience, that everything should be perfect. But you know as well as I do, and as we will see in our story today, that trials still come. And through trials and tribulations and persecutions, God uses that to deepen your faith in him, to keep us focused on him. And if you have swayed off and took a little detour in something in this world of the flesh, those trials get your attentions and brings you back in line with what God is going in the direction. And you go, ooh, I lost sight. Let me come back. I got so busy in life. I got so caught up in these things. And this person kind of pulled me a No, God wants me to follow him and follow his way. And is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, if we just keep it that simple, and we'll in trials, we'll do that. We'll bring us back to that 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 foundation. And so we see here in, in, in Genesis chapter five, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter twenty-five, verse one. Abraham took again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. Now, we know in the scripture, who is this woman? Well, this woman was a concubine, one of his concubines. And you see that in 1 Chronicles chapter 1, 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 32. He was one of his concubines, and he took her, Keturah, as one of his, 
of, of one of his wives. In, in verse 2, and she bore him, and I'm going to spare you today, and I'm going to say there are six sons that were born there. Now, you can look at the names, and you can struggle with those. But today, I'm not going to struggle with these names. I want you to focus on that. There were six um, sons given to her through Abra by Abraham. Now, keep in mind, he, this is an old man. Remember, Sarah died at 127. That makes him 10 years older, 138 years old. Hello? And so <laughs> this man had some vitality, man, that God gave him because God is going to fulfill his promise. And he's going to give him the strength and the abilities to have more children. But we see here that she bore six sons. And out of those six sons, we see in verse uh, 3 and verse 4, there's two of them, Jokshan, begot Sheba um, and Dedan, and they had three sons. And then Midian also had five more sons. So we see about 14 sons now being brought into the family of Abraham here. What a blessing it is. Here's an old man at the very end time. Now we don't know when they got married. The scripture implies, and I take it, is that after Sarah's death is when he married this concubine and that God brought these children. So there was a clear understanding to you and to them who is the clear inheritance of his son, which is Isaac. We already know Ishmael was not, and so there was no confusion who the inheritance goes to. And he makes it clear in verse 5, and Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. So there's no question who is the clear heir, who is the lineage that, was the, that God was talking about of the messianic lineage or who the Messiah, the Savior, was going to come through. And it's going to be through Isaac. And as a child of God, you are going to receive an inheritance. He made that clear. And it's so true and in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, that uh, maybe 17, uh, yeah, Romans 8, 17, that we too, who are our children of God, will receive an inheritance. Now what happens here, we see in verse 6, that but, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, and while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac his son to the country in the east. And we know the scripture shows that they, you know, they were born, these, these, these sons of these concubines, and he wanted to make sure there's probably not a challenge between just like Ishmael and uh, Isaac. He sent uh, Ishmael away. Here he sends these concubine sons away as well to an area what we refer to as Arabia today. They're the Arabians that we refer to. So you want to know where they come from? You see the lineage right here uh, where they started. But through this, you notice that he did not give an inheritance. He gave gifts. And we know in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 5, around, first, I think, verse 45, we see that God gives gifts to even to the unsaved. It rains on the just and the unjust. We see that God works in the lives of the unbelievers as well. And many times to bring, and, and to bring, him, to bring them to understanding of who God is. But they do not receive the inheritance of the promise of eternal life. Only a child of God receives that promise. And so just like these, they will be sent away. So will those non-believers. Yes, they've been 
you know, given blessings and, and maybe they don't even recognize that God is doing a work. They will have to depart if they do not give their lives to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior by faith. They too will be sent apart because they have chosen not to follow Jesus. So here we see that cleared out. And now we see in verse 7, this is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived. 175 years. So you know, between 137 and 175, we're talking about, what, 37, 38 years into play here of the time that this is all taking place as we see this played out. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, and an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. What Don't you want that to be your... Men, at the end of your life, that they look and it was, you just had this, this, this good old age, this good life, an old man full of years, and just there's just a a, a, a a witness to those that are watching when you pass of what your life has been reflected as. We see that in Abraham's life. In verse 9, and his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite. I find this fascinating. Ishmael has been around. Ishmael has found out. Ishmael is keeping in contact. Someone maybe said, however that happened, we see two brothers who have been separated, who are at odds, who have conflict. We still see that conflict happening even today. But in time of death, you see how death can bring even enemies together for the purpose of grieving and, and, and focusing on the one they love. So Ishmael obviously loved his dad still. And these two men were able to come together and to be able to honor his, their father by, by placing them where? Right here, in the field which Abraham had purchased there in Zohar. If you remember the story, uh, the sons of Heth, that Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt in Berlahe Roy. So here we see these two people coming under death, and we see that today. People will have conflict within the family, strife within the family. Then a patriarch, someone in the family dies, and it's amazing how they will have, they haven't spoken to each other in 10 to 15, 20 years. But the death happens, and they come from everywhere, and they see each other for the very first time. There seems to be a commonality. There seems sometimes restoration and forgiveness, and things happen through the death experience of someone. And that's exactly, we see that. But all we know now is in at the, here in verse 11, we no longer hear about Ishmael from this point on. Do you know that? It's all about Isaac, and he made it clear in verse 11. God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt there by that well once again. Remember that well. That well had a lot of stories around that well. That's where Hagar went, remember, with Ishmael? And God met her there and answered her prayer and brought her back. Abraham was there. Isaac was there. He was answered. He was dwelling there while God was sending off to get his, find his wife. 
and bring it up. There's a lot of things that happened around this, this place. And it was very special that God was meeting and answering prayer in and through around that place. Verse 12, now this is the genealogy of Ishmael. Abraham's son, whom Hagar and the Egyptian Sarah's maidservant bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael, by their names according to their generations. And as you go and scan those names all the way down there through 15, there are 12 sons or 12 tribes established just like the prophecy was given or Abraham had promised early on that he too would be a great nation that God promised through Abraham uh, to Ishmael. And verse 13 or 16, these were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names by their towns and their settlements, 12 princesses or 12 prides, uh, tribes according to their nations. In verse 17, these were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. And he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. 137 years. And that's the end. We don't hear, again, from this chapter, we don't hear about Ishmael going forward at all whatsoever. It just, here is, God was going to work through this man. He established the tribes, these 12, these tri, through his 12 sons. And that was in the end of that, uh, of, of Ishmael. And they dwelt in uh, Havilah, as far as Sur, which is the east of Egypt, as you go toward Assyria, and he died in the presence of all of his brethren. That's again that whole that southern part of that deserts of the Arabia going toward uh, toward Egypt. In verse twenty, Isaac or nineteen. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. I, Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife. So he was 40 when God brought Rebekah into his life. And they had a life, and it, this is, it clearly was of God. This is a blessing of God, and God orchestrated this. There's no question in his mind that this was who his wife was to be, but interesting in life, even though everything is perfectly aligned and you're in the will of God and, and God has brought you a godly wife and, a, and it's according to his will and purpose and, and everything was just done his way, doesn't mean trials won't come in that marriage. In that relationship, and we see it played out here that in verse 21, that now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. You know, sometimes when you get married, you have these visions and you have these ways and you say, this is how it's all going to plan out, isn't it, honey? We're going we're gonna to get married and we'll spend a whole year just the two of us and we'll travel the world and we'll do this and then we'll have this baby at this time and it, and it has to be, it can't be in the, in the summer and it has to be, in, it can't be in the winter, so it has to be just right in the fall or spring. And you have these plans. I assure you, these two must have wanted to have plans to have babies back in those days immediately because it was a blessing upon the woman to have a baby. But even if God's orchestration and God's design to bring Isaac, Rebekah, to fulfill the promises that God had given Abraham, his father, 
it was 20 years we see. 20 years she was barren, as we will continue down in verse 26, because Isaac was 60 when they actually finally had their child. Or in this case, children. 20 years. Imagine the trial, the testing by faith. God promised. God promised. God said. God's will is that we're to have children. Why can we not have children? Well, the reason is, is because God's timing is not our timing. His ways are not our ways. God many times has to do a work in a man and a woman's life before he brings fruitfulness from them. Changes have to be made. Preparations, a heart needs to be right, a mindset needs to be maybe changed. Whatever it was, God's timing is perfect and is right and it is good. Even though it doesn't, we don't feel like it, even though we don't see it, but it's by faith that God brings us through these tests, these trials. It's by faith, not by sight. So what happens here? We see a godly man, a husband of a couple who's doing exactly what a husband should do, and that is to, to be praying for his wife, to see when she is hurting, to be pleading with God to help her. When she sees her down and out or about or things are not going the way and it's, she's troubled deeply, you as a husband must be praying and pleading with God Almighty for your wife. And we see that God answered his prayer. In verse 22, we see, but the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So God fulfilled his promise in his timing. Here he is ple pleading out. And even though he knew the promise, it did not stop him from sitting there going, I don't need to talk to him about this. It's his promise. He'll take it. No, you still seek the Lord and, and plead and go out to the Lord about all things here. He blesses them. It, it brings a con conception to take place. And here is an amazing thing. God shows us in the scripture he speaks to her because as a godly woman, she goes to the Lord and seeks to why and seeks to understand why God is what God is doing in her life. We don't see anything. I can't imagine she didn't turn to a girlfriend to the left or say or find someone. Oh, you just had twins. What is going on in your womb? Did you feel this? Did you see those arms and the feet kicking out and, and moving around? It looks like something's alive. It is alive. The baby's alive. But we see here, he went, she went to the Lord and said, what is going on here? Because it must have been so radically different than what she watched another woman go through. And she went to the Lord and asked. And he answered directly in verse 23. And the Lord said to her, two nations. There are two babies 
There's two babies in this womb, right? Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Wow. See how the Lord can speak to a wife, to a mother-to-be, and give clarity, right, if you go and seek the Lord and ask? They didn't have ultrasounds. They didn't have the tests. They couldn't scan and see what was going on. But something was happening, and he was basically, God is saying to you have twins, and these two boys are sibling rivalries, and they are going at it and fighting within your womb. You're experiencing a battle within your own womb. And we're going to see that played out, right? Esau is the Edomites. Jacob is the Israelites. And we see through the scripture they've been fighting ever since they got out of the womb. But started in the womb. And God made it clear that's what's happening. How I want to share this right here. That God showed very clearly there are two babies. With a future and a plan and a purpose. Two nations. And they already know what is going on. The strife between two. And we see today in our world that they don't think they're babies. Absolutely foolishness that we see in the world today. And the one, yes, will be stronger. But the older will serve the younger, which is completely different than what God, and we see it not just in this situation, but we see it in uh, even David's life. He was not the firstborn. He was the secondborn. And we see that in, in a couple other occasions. But here we see here, so when, in verse 24, when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. It was confirmed. There were, there were two babies. And the first came out red. Red as can be. And he was like a hairy little garment all over. Oh, that's a pretty little baby you have. <laughs> hairy and red. Oh, all babies are beautiful, as I'm reminded, right? Oh, such a beautiful little baby. <laughs> and so they called his name Esau. And afterward, his brother came out. And think about it. And his hand took a hold of Esau's heel so his name was called Jacob. And Esau was 60 years old when she bore them. Now, I can see them battling out. I'm going out first. No, I'm going out first. You can see the battle taking place of who was going to be the dominant one. And obviously, the stronger one was Esau. And he fought his way to the opening and got out first. And there's Jacob going, no, you're not. You know, grabbing a hold of heel. I'm going to. And we know Jacob in, in, his, in his meaning of his name. He's a, a conniver, a deceiver. He's a manipulator. And we see it in his character for sure. And Esau for, as well, because right here, um, we see them coming out after 20 years of waiting here. She's going, whoa, I've asked for this baby, and now what? This going on? I have twins? I didn't ask for twins. And this is a roaring, roaring battle going on inside me. 
So, verse 27, so the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. So you see the humor of God giving two children, and they're completely opposites. I can attest that happens in more times as I watch in my own life. Our girls are opposites. And I see so many times children raised by the same parents, the same environment, same schooling, same education, and they're completely different personalities because children God created are unique created in, in a uniquely with their own thumbprint or fingerprints that are no unique to anyone in the world ever created. And here we see two total opposites. One is an outdoorsman, skillful, strong, bold, go-get-the-world man. And then you've got Jacob, who loves to be in the house, who's mild-mannered, and we will see he's the cook of the family. One goes out and kills. And the other one says, let's eat. Two opposites that God created exactly the way he wanted them to be. Personality-wise, size, shape, strength, all these things, God had already predetermined of how he wants to see this played out. But interesting also as a warning to us. Not only do not treat your, your children, your two children, or how many children the Lord bless you with, don't treat them like they're this, exactly the same. Because you will find you will struggle desperately uh, in, as parents. You, they're unique. You must treat them unique in the fact that how God, and, 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 and train them up. The ways of the Lord is common. It's the same as scriptures. But Understanding their personalities and their, their weaknesses and strengths is very important as a parent. But also a warning you see in verse 28. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Oh, my brothers and sisters, if you're blessed with children, you cannot have favoritism. Favoritism will cause Great division within the family. You cannot have that. You can see dad loved Esau. Why? Because he was, he was helping to fulfill his flesh. He wanted to eat. I like, I like game. <laughs> so Esau is the one who went out and got it. Can you go out and get a good deer for me, son? You know, the, oh, I love my son. You know, <laughs> you know. And Jacob, because he spent so much time inside the house and was willing to spend so much time with mom, became not maybe more like a mama's boy. So mom just loved him dearly. And so to, we find even today, your children will have your personality. You have a tendency to gravitate to that child because they... It's easier to work with them because they kind of like you. They're kind of, they understand you, and it's easier to talk to them. But let me encourage you. Don't have favoritism. Understand how God created them and pour into them equally to both. You must invest in both of them. If not, they will have challenges, and we will see it played out here later on as, as we continue the book of Genesis uh, these challenges, and we'll see it here even today. 
Verse 29, now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in and from the field, and he was very weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with the, the same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Edom. I, just eat it. You know, I want to eat your food. Um, but I don't think when I read that, you, you, it was, oh, Jacob, my, my, my favorite brother, you're so nice to me. Could you give me a stew? I think he was probably a little aggressive, demanding, give me that food, you know. But we see that he was weary. That he was absolutely depleted of his energy, hungry, famished, so weak, as we will see here in verse 31. Jacob takes advantage of a brother in a time of weakness, which is no Judah. He says, but Jacob said, sell me your birthrights as of this day. Now, how do you do that? How do you go there and you make a stew and here comes your brother. He's a brother in need. And you look and go, hey, I can. You think it just happened to pop in his head that I can take advantage of him and get his birthright? No, you know what he's been pondering on. You know what he's been pondering on. He was just waiting for the opportunity to take advantage of his brother. But God sees all things. He knows all things. But we see here that. And so what, how does Esau respond when you're in the flesh? And you're a person who's bold and dynamic and, and you live by the flesh and you work by the flesh. Well, how does he respond? Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob saw Esau, gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank and arose and went his way. And look at the last part of that verse. His actions, his words, his mannerisms, everything said boldly what Esau believed about his position as the number one son, first son, and the position that he holds. He says, thus Esau despised his birthright. Now that's a warning to you kids who might be sitting here listening. Don't despise what your parents have done for you, raising you up in the ways of God. Introducing you to Jesus, encouraging you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then to then encourage you to show this life of a Christian life as a, as a young adult. Don't despise what God has done in and through your parents to lead you to Christ. Because in the scriptures, we see here very clearly, even Hebrews 12, 16, where we see the character of, of, of Jacob being that uh, a profaner and a fornicator. We also know here in this birthright subject, Deuteronomy 21, 17, and 1 Chronicles 5, verses 1 and 2. That birthright that Jacob was pursuing. I want what my brother has. And I want that. And if you see in those scriptures in Deuteronomy and 1 Chronicles, birthright means you are going to be blessed double portions of materially and spiritually. But you could see Esau didn't really care about his spiritual heritage. 
He didn't really care about the material because he could go make it himself. He could go hunt it in himself and do it himself kind of mentality. Jacob, on the other hand, he was a mild manner. He sat back. He was looking to see how he could gain it from someone else versus both of them pursuing God. Although understanding the fact that it's an inheritance or a blessing that comes from God, not in your own doing. So we'll see here in chapter 26, trials that will continue now focusing in on Isaac as he comes through here. And we're going to see four of them. The first trial we're going to see in how Isaac is going to respond to this test. The first one is fire, or in this case, famine that he has to go through. So in verse chapter 26, verse 1, there was a famine in the land besides the Besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and Gerar. So here we have another famine, a hundred-year famine, because it was hundred years prior to that. It was the famine that happened in the same land, same area, that caused Abraham to go where? To Egypt. Who did he go to seek guidance from? A pagan king, Abimelech. Remember, Abimelech is a title, just like Pharaoh or Caesar. Is highly more than likely it was not the same Abimelech that his father dealt with, but a different ruler at that time, but the same position. And here the son is following in the footsteps of the father, which is not good. <laughs> not good at all. When it's going against the will of God is not good. So what happened? Verse 2, we see the, then the Lord appeared to him and said. Now this is the first time we see in scripture God speaking to Isaac. And he says, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Just like his dad. As soon as the trial came, as soon as the pressure, in this case the famine came, he leaned on his own understanding. He leaned on the fact that probably he knew exactly what his dad did. And that he was going to run to Egypt and seek counsel from the world. Because Egypt is a representative symbolic of the world. And he was quickly going to do that, but thank God he came in and he was listening and he said, no, you are not going to Egypt. You're going to stay right here where I, the land I gave you. In verse 3, dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you for, for to you and your descendants. And I will give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and my my charge and my commandments and my statutes and my laws so here God says don't go you're going to be in this land I have promised for you I gave to your your, your father Abraham, and it's the promise that comes to you. Yes, the promise started with your father, but it's a promise that is a, a blessing that I said it will go all the way through, and I'm going to keep my promise as a faithful God. 
and you too will receive three promises. If you remember, in the promise, there was three things. He says, and he reiterates it to him. I'm going to give you a land. This is the land for you. This is your land. I'm, it was your father's, now it's yours. I'm going to give you a nation. There's going to be a multiplication of all your, your genealogy. There's going to be a, lots of descendants that are coming from you. And the third thing is in that covenant with Abraham and a co Abrahamic covenant was a blessing. You're going to be blessed if you would just be obedient to what I ask you to do. And the blessings continue to come. Even here, we will see God was pouring out blessings to Isaac even when he was disobedient. It's amazing the grace of God that we see here in the Old Testament. And he does it as a foundation of the promise. And he reminds him, it's not based on how good Isaac was. You're a good little boy. And this is what you're going to get. No, because Abraham received this promise, and he wasn't a good little boy. <laughs> he wasn't a good dad, a father, or anything. God, it's God's blessing. It's God's promise here, and he's going to fulfill it. So he says here, so, and I love in verse 5, I don't want to miss this, for you guys to make notes who are making notes. Notice, before the written word, there was the written word, right? Because the word was from the beginning. We see right here that Abraham obeyed not only God's voice, but notice that he kept my charge. God gave Abraham clear directions. A char I charge you. This is what you're going to do. He says he kept my commandments. That means those commandments were written down for Abraham to know, clear to understand. He also, God also gave him my statutes and my laws. So all of the things that God wanted man to know, he had from the very beginning of time. Isn't that amazing? Some people say, oh, wait, it wasn't until we saw the Torah came. No, 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 no. These were before all of that. God gave clear direction of, his, of everything that Abraham needed to know. And you know for a fact that Abraham was teaching his sons and everybody else what God's directions were to be. But here we see in verse 6 that Isaac, again, was disobedient. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Remember, God said he was to sojourn, but he didn't want to sojourn. Just like you and I, we are not, this is not our home. We are sojourners going to heaven. This is temporary. You're not to, to live like the world. You're not to put your foundation down like this is going to be where you always will live. In regards to, we're going to heaven. But Isaac said, no, I'm going to just plant right here and dwell here. And, and we're going to find out there's challenges will come. Trials will come when you're not fully obedient to God. And here's the second trial that he, Isaac will have to go through. Verse 7. And the men of the place asked him, asked about his wife. And he said, she is my sister. Now, doesn't that sound familiar to you all? father-like son here for he was afraid to say she was my wife because he thought test the men of the place lest the men of the place kill me for Rebecca because she was beautiful to behold oh man should we should we not learn from our fathers here we find 
Here he is dwelling in a place where he's not supposed to be dwell. And when that happens, all of a sudden, here comes the trials. And the trial is they saw Rebecca, who was beautiful, just like Sarah was beautiful. And they, he knew that they were probably going to kill him to get her as a wife. So what does he do? He lies just like his father did. Even worse, there was no truth in this whatsoever. It wasn't his half, half, uh, you know, half sister. This was, this was his second cousin. <laughs> that was the closest of relative. He was clearly not his wife. But he used the same tactic, thinking, "Okay, Dad got through with this. Dad got away with this. Maybe I can get away with this, only by the grace of God." So don't test God <laughs> in these things. But here we find, by God's grace, we see this playing out. And it came to pass, verse 8, when he had been there a long time. So this wasn't like, oh, she's my sister. And then the next day, that's all, the, the lie came to light. No, 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 we're going to find out they were, do, do, they were there a long time. And that the Abimelech king of the Philistines, looking through a window... And saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. It wasn't some little kiss on her cheek that like a brother would give to his sister about to depart. No, no. Obviously, Isaac, the husband, was caressing his wife, uh, Rebekah, and it was very clear to the king that is a husband-wife deal right there. There was no question in his mind. And it just happened to be that the king was walking by a window to see it. See, God reveals things. God reveals things to correct a person to change direction. And what happens? By the grace of God, what happens here? Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously. <laughs> That's a nice political way of saying Quite obviously, she was your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So you know the story has come down through. Even Abimelech, the king here, it's a different king, heard the story of what happened with Abraham and the, his predecessor. And how he was deceived. And remember what happened. God had to bring a, 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 a uh, pestilence and, 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 and tremendous uh, pain to them to get them to release Sarah to make sure Sarah went back to Abraham. But this king, see what happens here. It, he's very clear. So Abimelech charged all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Capital punishment, capital offense if you touch either one of them. Because he knew that God Almighty would have done to him just as he did like he did to his predecessor if there was any way that we were not going to release Rebecca. Get her back to his, her husband because that is not going to be good for us. And then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. 
And the man began to prosper and continue prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. And so the Philistines envied him. We see the third test. First one, famine, the, 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 um, the fire testing it coming upon him. We see the second one was the fear of, 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 of being killed for, over his wife. Now the third trial comes. God starts blessing him and blessing him and blessing him. And people, the non-believers, are starting to take notice. And what do we see? They become envy of what God is doing in and through this child of God. And that happens even today. That God is blessing you and doing a work that you will find that people will envy you and will come against you purely on the fact that God is blessing you. And that you must just take note of that and not to fear not to be fear of the fruitfulness that will come from your life that God is doing. Yes, fruitfulness can become a trial for you and I. Sometimes we say, oh, if I just had more and everything else, everything will be perfect and everything will be fine. No, you'll have people will envy you. How did you get that position? How did you get that money? How did you, instead of a, a camel, how did you get the car? You know, there's always something that today will compare to what was happening then. But that's how what happens. And what, what, see what takes place that now the Philistines, verse 15, had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they had filled them with earth. So you can see these were even envious of Abraham. So as soon as Abraham died, they said, great, let's take advantage of this moment and fill in his wells to cause his people to die off and to leave. To get rid of you. How do we can dry up the wells so that his God's people will move and leave? And you know, that's what happens even today. There's a mindset that says, let's take away the freedoms of God's people. Let's change the laws of the land. Let's change the laws of how you that restrict God's people to do what they had the freedom to do and cause them to leave the state. No, no, nothing new under the sun, my brothers and sisters. It just takes a different form. But if you can see, they do the same thing here. They said, get rid of the well, because that was what brings life. That's what brings joy. That's what gives and supports a family. And one by one, the enemy comes in and tries to take away to cause you and I to fear from this. Because they do not want to see you prosper as a child of God. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us. For you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. So Isaac didn't choose to go, go far, far away. He just went just into the valley, just outside. So it's just close enough, but not far enough. So what happened? Isaac dug again the wells of water, which he had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, 
for the Philistines had stopped them up at, after the death of Abraham. So he f went to another place where his father had built. He saw that he started digging, his, digging out those wells to get him active again to be able to provide for his herds because they want him to die off and just become weak. And then not only that, but God allowed that to happen. Look at what also God did. He called them by the names which his father had called them. So he, you know, it was like a show of honor there. But here in verse 19, also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. So not only did God lead them to another well to be able to open that back up, but then God blessed them with running water, spring water. Well, that's going to drive the Philistines absolutely nuts. Because as more they put pressure on God's people, Isaac, God blessed them even more. When, when the enemy comes in and tries to take out and murder and, and, and persecute God's people to get them to be wiped out of a country, what happens? What's happening in China? What's happening in Afghanistan? What's happening all around? People come to Christ. It's flourishing. The churches are booming in these countries that are absolutely uh, communism and socialism. Incredible growth of God, people bringing, God bringing people to him. And so that's what happened. Here's God's blessing with running water. But the herdsmen of the Gerer quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying that the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Isaac, Isaac, because they quarreled with him. Isaac means contention. So he named that well contention. Wait a minute. You, you filled them in with dirt. You didn't dig and find the sp living spring water in the valley. What do you mean it's ours? So you're sitting there in your mind. You should be sitting in your mind going, what's Isaac doing? Why isn't he fighting back? Abraham would have fought back. And Abraham probably would have because he was very strong. And he knew how to use his army. But see, that's not Isaac. Isaac wasn't his dad. Isaac was a mild manner, remember? He's, he was, didn't like conflict. He meditated on things. Uh, you know. he, he was an intellect, probably. He was more of a gentle. He wasn't looking for a fight. He trusted by faith that through this trial, God was going to provide. And he had been providing. Well, after well, and living spring. And what happens next? Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna, or hostility. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. This, this well it means spaciousness. God is now, the Philistines have finally given up. They've given us space. We've got a well. We're able to provide. We're able to dwell in this place after three moves, I think, here. And then, verse 23, he then went up. He sojourned. He finally, now he's finally sojourning, sojourning. He went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. I gave Abraham a promise. I said what was going to happen. And because of that, you receive the blessings from that as well. 
So right there in verse 25, Isaac did exactly what he should do. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. He worshipped God. He is where God wanted him to be. He understood that God was with him. God was blessing him. God was going to be with him through all of this, even the mistakes he made and all the issues and stubbornness and disobedience. God was still working with him. He knew it, and he was just going to build an altar just like his dad and worship God. Now he's following a good example of his dad, building the altar and worshiping God. But now we see the final test, or another test here uh, in this chapter. Verse 26. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerer with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, since you hate me and have sent me away from you? So he's sitting there going, Okay, what is the deal here? Am I going to fight these people? Is this the next trial? Because here they are showing up and you hate me. What is the, what is the deal? But we see how it plays out here. I think it's a good testimony of a godly approach here dealing with your enemies. Verse 28, but they said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. A non-believers who are your enemies at times can see God working in and through your life, and because you choose to not fight to get your way, not to butt heads with them and wrestle with them, you trusted God is going to provide for you and place you where you need to be. And see what happened. It became a testimony to those non-believers, these pagan kings, and these said, we certainly see that the Lord is with you. So he said, let there now be an oath between us, an agreement, a covenant between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since you have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Can you imagine Isaac? You kick me out. You've been filling in my, the wells. You're making me move and move and move. You absolutely hate me. And now because God's blessed me and prospers me and, and I've got strength and a large family that could fight back and stuff, now you want to have peace with me? You're just scared of me. Now remember, back with Abraham... When the king came to him and tried to find that covenant, that, that, that peace between them, what did Abraham say? Okay, we'll make an oath. We'll, we'll, we'll have peace here. But regarding my wells that you took from me, remember that? And the king immediately said, I didn't know that they were taking your wells. And he gave him back those wells. But notice Isaac didn't ask for anything. He says in verse 30, so he made them a feast. And they ate and drank. He didn't want to fight these people. He wanted peace as well. So he chose to have a feast to honor them in their agreement 
that they recognized that God was working and that they were going to keep peace in the land here between those, those two parties. And then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed with, from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So it was called Sheba, or means oath, or seven, perfection. And therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. And then we see, here he is blessed, placed where God wants him. God has provided the wells all the way through his whole, their whole life and journey here. He's in, in the will of God. They're doing there. God's provided another well. Now he has peace with his enemies, his neighbors. He has peace with his neighbors. Everything is good. Because God is blessing and guiding and doing what God wants to do. Even through all the trials. But what happened to Esau? Well, we see in verse 34 and 35, when Esau was 40 years old, he took as wise Judith, the daughter of Berai, the Hittite, the Bashmith, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. If you don't do it God's way, you become a grief. <laughs> you can cause grief on your parents. You can cause a grief on your siblings. You can cause a grief to your neighbors. You can cause grief. Esau lived by the flesh. He was motivated by the flesh. And, and we will see the rest of his life play out in the fact that he took two wives from the Hittites, from people a tribe that he was not supposed to do and he did it anyway when you're a believer and you even think about marrying a non-believer you are going to bring grief and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna receive grief or challenges in your life that's why god is very clear we have to be obedient to god's word god's direction and allow him even through all the trials and tribulations you find yourself let him bring about the direction of your life and you'll be blessed. Amen.